Good morning. Good morning. It's really a, it's a pleasure to be here with you and to be able to participate in Bren's sabbatical while he has a break and to refresh, and I'm grateful for his invitation to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful for Rev22 and the connection with you. So um, a friend of mine has said that someone told him that, that we are now all cyborgs in one way or another. I mean, just look at your desktop. You have computers, you got your tablets, and even our bodies are ornamented with smartphones and smart watches, and technology is all around us to improve us, and that's not bad. It's not even new, really. I mean, technology's been around since the beginning of the wheel. I mean, that was revolutionary. That was genius in the day. What makes technology new for us today is how it enjoys um, being intimate with our own life. Technology enjoys being an inseparable part of who we are. I mean, you've lost your cell phone ever. You understand how important that is to have that link. And technology loves that. Actually, it shapes our world. But not only shapes our world, it actually shapes humanity. Technology shapes what it means to be human. It's no mere accessory anymore. We rely upon various levels of technology daily, even hourly. So, because of that, um, Bren and I talked, and we thought it would be appropriate today to take a pause in our normal routine and to think a little deeper about some of the deeply held beliefs we have about God and how that relates to technology. Um, Chad Ragsdale, a friend of mine, said, technology at its very best is a celebration of Imago Dei the Latin phrase, made in the image of God. Technology celebrates what it means to be made in the image of a creator God. We were created to create. And so whenever we uh, invent or discover or solve a problem, it brings glory to God. It magnifies God. He's given us such capabilities. He's called them good. And so technology, at its very best, is a way to amplify the creative potential of humanity to reflect the very likeness of God on this planet and actually to advance his kingdom in many ways. But of course, technology isn't always good. It isn't always at its best. Electronic technology created by fallen humans exposes our brokenness and actually reveals deep private insecurities. Technology gives, uh, gives many people the exact God that they want. A God that won't judge them, a God that won't interfere in their private life, a God who serves them, a God who offers some sort of a escape. Technology promises some things. Promises to slow us down, but we are dizzy from overstimulation. Technology promises to connect us to the world and to each other, uh, but we are increasingly choosing an artificial virtual world. And with, with some of that comes the seed to many dangers. So I want to present just a metaphor I might kind of work through a little bit in this message about uh, some of the d- rushing dangers of technology. So I want to illustrate it this way with the river, the Payette River. Let's take the southern Payette. It's the part where you get in the raft and you're, you might have a class one, possibly class two rapid. For the most part, you're just floating. You got the cooler in the boat. You're, you can get out in the slow current and swim. You can get over and disembark and have lunch. You're laughing. You're enjoying the sights and sounds. Your hand's in the water. It's a lazy float. Maybe you got a guide possibly leading you down the river. Contrast that, though, to the upper North Fork Payette River, where the raging Class 5 rapids are loud, they are strong, it requires much focus, 
and the maneuvering is tactical and skillful. You can't just pull over to the side. You can easily flip, and sadly, many have died. And you're doing this alone like an American, and that's the thrill, right? Our American way of life and morality, it isn't like the slow, lower pay head like it used to be generations ago. Today, with the saturation of visuals and pulsating temptations from technology and from various forms of media, we are put smack dab in the middle of class five rapids and we have had no training on how to handle that. It's hazardous to our health. It's hazardous to our families. It's hard to raise a family in this day and age with such good and hazardous technology. It's challenging to stay pure in our relationships. As technology advances, so do sexual temptations. But sexual temptations aren't just a contemporary issue about smartphones. I mean, it's been around for years. Consider the ancient city of Corinth in the biblical world and the cultural influences of the goddess Aphrodite. Here's a couple pictures of the temple of Aphrodite today. Aphrodite contributed to the highly sexual and promiscuous culture in Corinth. Before the Apostle Paul arrived in the city of Corinth, uh, the famous temple to Aphrodite stood on the summit of the Acro-Corinth with its 1,000 cult prostitutes. And every evening, those sacred prostitutes would descend into the city, and they would practice their trade upon the streets of Corinth. It became known that to be called a Corinthian woman implied that you have had lower immoral standards of living. So listen to the Apostle Paul as though we were Corinthian Christians. Listen to what he says to that church at that time and just think about how meaningful it would be for us today. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body? with her? For he says, speaking of God, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins, the, joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? There's a few points maybe Paul was trying to make to the church here about sexual sin. Sexual sin is immorality. It's the Greek word porneia. Technically, it means it relates to sexual activity outside of the marriage bounds. And so with sexual activity from media or graphics today, we get the pornographic, pornography. That's where the word comes from. Sexual sin, Paul says, is against oneself, actually rejecting the way God made you. It, it, it wounds yourself. And sexual sin is destructive to others. There's, a, there's no degree to sin, I understand that, but this sin, it affects people at a broad spectrum. Many people today think that porn is just a, a personal, harmless form of entertainment, uh, but such immorality is not part of God's plan and God's design. It's negative in its impact for the willing participant or for the viewer. It's also very destructive to the adults and even, sadly, children who are forced into that form of prostitution for filming. It destroys. Sex joins, Paul says. It joins one with another, a bond intended for the boundary of marriage, an addiction to immorality like porn. It actually 
contributes to the inappropriate bond. That's why Paul bases his whole argument in this paragraph. Uh, He's fighting for bonding to one spouse, not someone else. He, he bases this back by hearkening to the Garden of Eden. He takes us back to encounter Adam and Eve before they ate from the forbidden fruit, before sin had come into the world, pre-sin, pre-fall, pre-tarnishing of creation. He takes us back to what God says. In Genesis 2, the two shall become one flesh. Here's several facts about that, theologically speaking, before we go any further. Number one, God is one. God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, same equal substance, same nature, co-equal, a union. And out of that union, secondly, God made one human, a male, Adam. And out of that one, with, from within that one male, God made another human, female, Eve. God, by God's design, there are differences between man and woman, functionally, physically, of course. God wanted, number three, Adam and Eve to cleave to one another. Animals had been created before at that moment. He didn't want them to cleave to them, just to one another. He wants them to be joined, to be glued together for the purpose of sexual union shared between two who originated out of one to become one flesh. Sexual union, it connects two people as one again in the original way God designed for his purposes. And lastly, God's marriage ideal, as countercultural as it might be, is one male and one female for one life. And that union will reflect God and his singular nature as long as that union exists on earth. So it goes against God's very best intent and God's very best design when we ignore our Lord Jesus' warning. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The battleground for purity and faithfulness lies between our ears. And it all begins with our eyes, the doorway into our brain, and what we allow to be seeped into, soak into our brain. So to give yourself over to pornographic sensuality actually tarnishes. It mars the best reflection of a holy, creative God as he designed it to be lived out through your life. It's deceitful. Porn is destructive. It corrupts. It decays. This is why Satan uses it to distort God's image through humanity on this world. By now, you know where my topic is going. I hope you're okay if we keep going. It's actually not comfortable, but it's necessary. The lust of the eyes and pornography use is a cancerous epidemic in America today. It's destroying lives. It's destroying children. It's destroying families and marriages. I think it's the fabric of deterioration in our country. It's a very strong class five rapid that many people don't know how to maneuver by themselves. They've not been trained. They don't know how to do this stream of technology alone. Porn use is a vicious cultural current, and it leads to death, spiritual death, emotional death, marital death, societal death, family death. Now, porn use today is seen in various levels. It, it, it isn't just pictures of, of half-naked bodies advertising Amber Crombie and Fitch or something like that. And it, it also includes mostly naked bodies of Victoria's Secret runway models. And it definitely includes fully naked bodies of ESPN's Body Magazine and Playboy and the like. Pornography. The images that we focus our, our mind's eye on to arouse us, and many times that done in private when no one's looking over our shoulder. You know where pornography starts? It, it, it's actually pretty innocent where it starts. Advertisements 
movie posters, uh, Xbox, PlayStation games are, are seemingly harmless, but they're actually the seed, the small little seed that gets burrowed into our brain, and that's where lust starts. The constant eye candy of our culture lives on. It gives us a sugar high that is not no natural, nor is it normal for us, and it's hazardous to our health. And I wish I could talk about this more. Actually, pornography is the start to such things as sex trafficking. Not just in third world countries, and not just big U.S. cities. Even right here in Boise, a sex trafficking issue is surfacing, and it starts with, with, with upstanding citizens that you'd be surprised who are addicted to porn who are funneling money into that industry. If I can be blunt, if I haven't already been blunt, if I can be more blunt, Various degrees of porn will wreck the arousal process in your brain and end up wrecking your sex life and your marriage. And the effects of porn are devastating. So I have two big points. One is I just want to talk scientifically a bit as in my own research and study about how the brain works, try to understand the swift current of porn and, and why it's so strong. First, basics. If you remember anything about how the brain relates to porn, remember the chemical neurotransmitter dopamine. You've probably heard about that. It's known as the gotta have it molecule. Dopamine has been described by one brain expert as the, the gas that fuels the engine for desire for any expectation, for, for, an, for anticipation. For example, if today was your birthday and you, you knew you were going to a restaurant tonight, you had, you had reservations at that restaurant, uh, you, or maybe you're shopping for a certain gadget, or you're having sex, the brain releases dopamine. And, 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 it, and all of our senses are saying, give me more, give me, give me, give me, because of that release. The more intense the experience, the more dopamine is released in our brain. It's actually a God-given release. It's God-motivated. If we did not have dopamine being motivated in our brain, we would stay in bed all day like, like, uh, with no motivation to get out of bed, to work, have purposeful goals, relationships, or even sexual pleasure. The danger is overstimulation. Overstimulation occurs with repeated dopamine spikes. As it relates to viewing pornography, too much of that diet desensitizes, actually desensitizes your brain. Uh, a gentleman named Gary Wilson who spoke at a TED Talk in Glasgow, he talked about how porn drives us to search for even more intense feelings of satisfaction, and that numbs our brain. Not only uh, does dopamine have some negative effects, we need to understand how porn rewires our brain. Every thought, every feeling, every habit, every skill, every behavior in your life has a corresponding neuropath that fires in your brain. God designed these paths. These pathways were, were, were purposed by God to be optimal in every function. However, as the brain's reward circuitry gets kind of entangled in this tug of war, the brain rewires because of addiction. The addiction dominates, and a new neuropathway pathway is created. The stronger the sex organ, uh, I guess the strongest sex organ, I want to say, is actually in your brain, between your ears. So every time a person focuses their eyes or their fantasizing world on soft porn or, or meditates on previously viewed images, the burst of dopamine strengthens the connection between cells. The stronger the connection it is, the easier it becomes for those cells to talk and communicate on that pathway. And whether, whether it's such like a learning, learning how to downhill ski or board or, or learning how to speak a foreign language or looking at porn, the more, the more you use that particular neural pathway, the more our brain changes, making that pathway stronger. For example... These neuropathways are like footpaths in a, in a field of waist-high grass. 
uh, first stepping into that field with that grass, it's very difficult to work through it and to walk through it. But the first time you make a path, you see that path, it becomes a little easier the next time. The grass gets trampled down, eventually it gets worn down, and you see a dirt path. I guess you could talk about uh, fresh powder up in the mountains or, or how did bike paths get formed on our, on our foothills here. That's how it works. Pathways get started. And the, Gary, Gary Wilson warns, as the pathway becomes activated and traveled, it becomes a preferred route. The consequences of that are far-reaching. In other words, he's talking about paths of least resistance in the brain. The easier the path, the more likely we are to take it, even subconsciously. So as a result of constant, continual viewing and feeding of soft or hard pornography, negatively it affects us and our love life. So three more facts real fast about, about pornography. Porn is a false substitute for intimacy. It feels good. It feels right. It excites. It gets the blood flowing. But you remember Pavlov's dog, right? I mean, nice juicy steak for the dog again and again and again. He rings the bell every time. He removes the steak, but he still rings the bell, and the dog salivates thinking, it's not there, thinking there's going to be a steak. Similarly, the same thing happens when we see porn. Porn stimulates the arousal centers in the brain, and a chemical reaction happens, and hormones are released. Instead of sharing the experience with one's spouse, the brain starts to associate that with a screen or an image rather than a spouse to be joined with as one flesh. Therein that counteracts God's design. Now, if you refuse to watch porn from this day forward and, and you want to save yourself and save your mind for, for be, to be joined with, as one flesh with one person for life in marriage, then on the honeymoon all those chemicals and all those hormones are released for the very first time with your spouse and there's this an intense, complete bond that happens with that one person. That is God's best plan, God's best intent for his image bearers, one flesh out of two. But when you spend tons of time alone by yourself, teaching your brain to associate arousal and release, Using pornography, your brain cannot associate arousal and release with one person anymore. You begin to salivate for the wrong thing. This is the reason Paul says what he says 2,000 years ago to the Corinthian Christians. It's verse 20. It's at the end of the paragraph. He says, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. May I add, in your mind as well. If we're Corinthian Christians, listen to that. You've been bought. Who would buy someone in Corinth? Well, a prostitute would be bought. And he changes that theologically. You have been redeemed with the purchasing currency of Christ's blood. You have been bought by that. Therefore, because of that act of grace and mercy, glorify your body in the most honorable way for the one who died for you. Christ redeemed you from Satan's control to scar image of God in us. Porn also devalues. It devalues intimacy. Intimacy was designed by God to bind, bond you physically, to bond you emotionally, to bond you spiritually with your spouse, one particular person for the rest of your life. But if that bonding hormone is released uh, when you're alone, sitting with technology or media, it stops having God's designed effects and you become dissatisfied with your spouse. I mean, an alcoholic, for example, drinks alcohol for the buzz. But after a while, the body begins to, to, to tolerate that. And, and to get the same type of buzz, the alcoholic has to drink a little harder liquor or maybe larger quantities. So the same thing happens with porn addiction. 
The only way to get a high or the same type of buzz is to watch weirder and weirder porn. Most of us, I think, would be horrified if we saw what most porn looks like today. I'm not experiencing this, just from what I've heard with my friends and read. It is very violent. It's extremely degrading, very ugly. It dehumanizes humans made in God's image. It negates God's design to share intimacy with one person to be one flesh. That's why porn is so self-centered. It leads to selfishness. Pornography might be the seed to narcissism in some ways. All of this causes a spiral of selfishness where the person ignores the spouse's needs, does not think about a future spouse they might marry to and becoming selfless like Christ with his bride and focusing only on what he or she wants and getting it right here, right now on their smartphone, which isn't very smart. We begin to compare a spouse with what we've seen on a screen. It's been photoshopped or something that's not like our spouse. Porn sells this message. It's a lie. Porn says, you deserve what you want, and you don't have to wait for it. You can get it right now. Your needs are paramount. Such selfishness suffocates one and one becoming one. People who think that porn through technology and media is harmless and simply helps people get in the mood or... Or, or even relieves frustration. I think they're kidding themselves. Porn, this chemical process in your brain gets very complicated. And when you start messing with what God designed, it can be very, very difficult to correct that and to develop a healthy sexuality again over time. You've got to be very patient, but it can happen. So what can be done? I think you can reboot your brain. Your brain is amazing. It can be rewired f- from some addictive pattern that's been governing it. Sort of like your computer, rebooting your computer, you can restore the sensitivity to your brain circuits. But unlike simply reformatting your hard drive or wiping it clean, rebooting your brain may be the hardest thing any human could go through. So a couple of things. Second large point is just how could we reboot our brain? And, and, and maybe how could we navigate through the current of pornography today? I've just got a, a couple to offer to you, starters. One is prepare for visual assaults. Just prepare Prepare your mind, even when you're Googling, searching for something, expect your eyes to be tempted. For me, my, my normal news outlet, I know there are parts on that outlet I can't go to because it's always showing provocative, attractive pictures of people half-dressed, and I just can't go there. I'm tempted to, so I have to be on my guard. I like what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, you can't keep a bird from flying overhead, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. So just be on guard. Prepare yourself. Maybe go so far as this. I mean, we're, if you're a movie-holic, you've got to get, the, you gotta get there the first time it comes out. Spoiler alert, I understand, but it might be worth your time to, to read a preview just on the sexual nudity content of that movie. Is it worth it? Don't just take the R rating for what it says. Read some Christian perspective and guard yourself and be prepared. Secondly, practice intentional thinking. Practice intentional thinking. What you think of is, is ultimately what you become. So the more attention you give to a given input, the stronger and more elaborately it gets wired and retained in your brain. So it makes sense that you would give attention and focus to wholesome things, that you would center your mind on things that are good. So it makes sense that we would intentionally, as Christians, strive to be holy in our thinking, in our mind. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's an ING, participle word, ongoing renewal of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Then over in Colossians 3, Paul says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, if you've been unioned with Christ, putting faith in him and saved by his grace, then keep seeking the things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. We've got to remember Christ is in the sanctifying process, making us more like him, conforming us to his image. So think about what he is doing on a daily basis that day to make you more like him. Intentionally process that. Third, employ the power of repetition. Be encouraged. Your brain can relearn, uh, thinking like an athlete who repetitively does muscle memory to, to not even have to think about certain skills like swinging a golf club, muscle memory. You can relearn that if you get a bad, a bad element in your golf swing, just for example. And so you can change. You can unlearn your brain and have positive rewiring take place to where the stimuli causes a better reaction, uh, a, a more reflexive reaction. So start here. Practically speaking, tomorrow. Just try it. Alarm goes off. You get out of bed. I don't know what your routine is, but employ the idea of listening to Scripture. Get the app on your phone and listen to it. Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to Twitter. Don't check any feeds. Don't go to news. Just as you're cleaning up for the day, as you're riding your, your bike, as you're running, may God be the first thought in your mind. May he be the first. Train yourself to talk to him, listen to him, think about him on a daily basis. Try it for the next three weeks through the, through the month of July. See what happens. I think that employing that will help reboot your brain. Fourth, how can we navigate these waters? Fight this for your spouse. If you're married today or your future spouse, if you're not yet married Fight this for them. Set up some personal accountability. For just one example, Covenant Eyes is a web-based defense system. You, you select people to hold you accountable. They get a weekly email on how you're doing. They can see exactly where you are every hour, what sites you're looking for. They can, they can observe if you're in good condition or bad condition. The accountability isn't to beat you up. It's to help you if you fall down. But I've seen that work. Check it out, Covenant Eyes on their website. Another thing, spiritually speaking, spiritual discipline that we sometimes don't do very well is fasting. Spiritual fasting, where you refuse not to eat. This is not dieting. It's, it, it's, it's a cleansing of your system, and instead of eating, you feed your brain with Scripture or a private time, solitude time with God, and you fast. Biblically speaking, whenever fasting happened in the Old Testament, it would be associated with repenting. You've got to treat this extremely severely. This is a horrible, appalling sin to God. We are His image bearers. And this sin distorts that. And if this is an issue for you or a friend, take the extreme measure and not eat. Here's the logic. If you can, re- if you can control your stomach from telling you, I need food, and you can say no, I believe you can control your eyes. They're coordinated. You become Lord over that diet. And with the power of the Spirit, feeding on Scripture as you fast, I think you can reboot your brain. I understand men and women battle this similarly and yet differently. I know the sexual temptation through media is a struggle for all of us. Um, but man, I, I want to appeal to you for just a moment. Uh, the, we need to understand that the male mind seeks personal validation and personal satisfaction, but sadly we're tempted to seek that from some other female than our wife. 
Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition put it this way. In God's plan, this personal satisfaction would be his wife. But for many men, it is an image on a screen. Pornography thus enslaves the viewer. Hijacking the biological response intended to bond a man to his wife and therefore inevitably loosening that bond. It doesn't help. It actually deteriorates the bond. This is not the kind of man Christian men want to be where we want to enjoy the godly Holy Spirit passions that we have from Christ, not to be enslaved by them in some carnal way. So men, if your goal is to become a man whose standard of beauty is shaped by the woman you love, and if your goal is to treat women in general as people who are worthy to be served in love, not some objects for your pleasure, and therefore you want to be a part of halting sex trafficking. And men, if your goal is to be a man surrendered, completely surrendered to the mastery of Christ, not to some carnal passions, but actually letting Christ, submitting to him for him to change you back to be the one that he designed you to be. And if you want to shed light, healthy light, on this dark habit, then consuming porn is going the opposite direction. For the sake of your spouse, fight this. One last thought. Several of you have children here, young children, some, maybe some teenagers. I want, uh, just a word about raising kids in this porn-saturated culture. Our kids are soaked in this technological current of sexual eye candy. They are soaked, and they have no idea how to maneuver and how to survive this current. If you think of a teenager's brain, actually in their teenage years, the peak dopamine production and the neuropathic creation happens in their teenage years, making it highly vulnerable to addiction and rewiring. They need our guidance in that time period. So what can a parent do? Just a half a dozen thoughts, okay? Uh, talk often about this, to monitor, to self-monitor how their usage on, on the in, online and, and what their apps are. Just monitor that. Another thought, another extreme measure is to take their smartphone or their tablet or their computer rights and limit it at 10 o'clock at night, no more. Uh, I've heard some families actually say to put their smartphone on the kitchen counter until the next morning. Just guarding them from doing things in their bedroom when no one is around, helping them to try to, to, try to be wise. And it, especially if you're paying for the data and the Wi-Fi, you've got all the responsibilities. So, so let's up the ante to help them understand this is a desperate time for them to be mindful of the night temptations. Another thought would be to check their web searches. Don't be ignorant about that and their texting. And their, not to police them, but to train that they would be self-disciplined in order to uh, guard their own eyes. And you might coach your kids on Scripture, reading Scripture with them. I, I've listed some. There's other good Scriptures to help be wholesome, intentional thought processes to be formed in our kids. Here's another one from Psalm 119. Question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, with all my heart I sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Just a verse that you could instill in the memory banks of your child to help them. Another thought you might do is to plan a, a purity night or a purity ceremony. Uh, we'd done this with our three kids when they got about 16 years old or so. We had a night where we set aside a, a time where we wanted to talk pretty honestly, pretty bluntly. Not that we hadn't before, but we made a special ceremony. We gave them a ring to put on their wedding finger until their wedding day. 
and they would take that ring off and give it to their spouse. I wear three rings to pray for my kids. So my boys, the two black rings, O-rings from Home Depot, they're like a nickel, right? So they wear a nickel little rubber ring to remind them, and I am reminded to pray for them too. The white one is for my daughter. She has a nicer one than an O-ring, right? My oldest son just got married. Coming up on his first year anniversary, I'm still praying for him that the bond stays. Does that make sense? So praying over our kids, asking the king of the universe and his power to supernaturally guard and protect because they are kayaking down this technological river and they have no skill, they have no one to train them. So our responsibility as mentors or as parents to be the very best reflection, educating them on 1 Corinthians 6.20 will be a good start. You have been bought. You're not your own son, daughter, been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your mind. Technology is extremely helpful and needed today. We all get that. But don't let it skew you, mar you, distort your kids from being something less than God has intentionally designed them to be. That's what we need to be thinking and praying about. So let's pray right now. Thank you for your scriptures, O oh God. Paul reminds us of our bodies being a temple of the Spirit. Our very frame houses your Holy Spirit, and at times we're not very holy in our minds. And so help us, please. Transform us. That very Spirit, God, is the, is the source of transformation with, within our life to be conformed to the image of Christ in the fullest way. It's a process so we pray that you would advance that process today by your spirit. Change us. We are grateful for your power and we're grateful for your grace, your mercy. We do not want to abuse your grace at the cross. So thank you for this day just to check how we're doing. We pray and thanks for your forgiveness, your transforming ability, for your patience with us. And thank you for the, the large goals you have in mind for us. The, the destiny you have for each of us to represent you in the fullest way as your image bearers here in our marriages, in our relationships. So we beg you and we plead for you to help us, to restore us, that we would be walking reflectors of who you are in every way. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.